0: Welcome back to What Happens Next, the podcast that examines some of the biggest challenges facing our world and asks the experts what will happen if we don't change and what can we do to create a better future. I'm Dr. Susan Carland. Keep listening to find out what happens next.
1: We start with breaking news now. Taliban fighters have reached the Afghan capital, Kabul. Some reports say they've begun entering the city, but a spokesman for the militants said that they have been told to wait. As police
2: the officers and security campaign. officials abandoned their positions, the Taliban urged people to stay calm.
3: You want uh, to avoid bloodshed onto destruction, uh, to destruction uh, to uh, properties of the people.
0: This week, we're departing a bit from our usual
3: format to tell an international story in full. So I had to choose that I will stay in Afghanistan, I will stay in my homeland, but will not have any right, any future. I
1: remember I became so distressed when we got news that our first group of five were being beaten by the Taliban and no one was going out to reach them.
0: In August 2021, after 20 years of occupation, the US military departed Afghanistan, leaving the country in the hands of the Taliban. While many headlines at the time focused on the American military's failure, the real stories were human ones. Afghan citizens were gripped by devastation and fear for their country, their political freedoms and their human rights, especially the rights of women and girls. The Taliban's original rule in the 90s was marked by a brutal approach. With their resumption of power, champions of women's rights and gender equality began to fear for their lives and for their families. Today on What Happens Next, we'll discuss what the new regime means for women and girls. You'll also hear a harrowing story of the emergency evacuation that helped several young scholars and their families successfully flee Afghanistan for Australia.
2: Hi, I'm Jackie True, and I'm a Professor of International Relations at Monash University. I direct the Monash Gender Peace and Security Centre, which uh, aims to build globally recognised research on issues of gender, peace, and security. Jackie, can you tell us a bit
0: about the history and also the current situation of the Taliban in Afghanistan?
2: Well, the Taliban was government in Afghanistan prior to 2001. And in 2001, after the attacks on uh, the Pentagon and the World Trade Towers in New York and Washington, D.C., at the hands of the Al-Qaeda network, the U.S., along with other allies, mounted uh, an intervention in Afghanistan because Afghanistan, uh, under the Taliban rule, was harbouring the Al-Qaeda network on on its territory.
0: Good afternoon. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against Al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan.
2: So that led to a regime change and an international military operation. Ultimately, in 2005, the restoration of a constitution and uh, a transition to, to uh, a democratic uh, government. <laughs> So the Taliban basically had to regroup and re-establish its, uh, its network in, in, uh, in hiding in Pakistan um, and of course still receiving significant funding from other countries uh, in the region um, and, and obviously still present uh, in the country itself. They are now the government in Afghanistan, so to speak, if we can even speak about them being a government, um, given that they're not recognised by most countries in the world. But nonetheless, they've imposed a certain regime, and uh, I think many people have been surprised at how quickly they have been able to um, take uh, power and, and, and government by force uh, in the country uh, since August 15th when they are... Uh, Uh, arrived in Kabul uh, and having uh, a presidential palace uh, empty, uh, having been uh, evacuated by, by President Ghani. Having worked closely with a number of Afghan scholars, activists and
0: youth leaders over the years, Professor True knew their lives were now in danger as long as they remained in the country. She led a remarkable team that immediately leapt into action and helped evacuate a number of scholars and their relatives from what was quickly becoming a life or death situation. Tell us about the evacuation that you were part of to help bring people from Afghanistan that you'd been working with over to Australia.
2: So at Monash and Monash Gender Peace and Security Centre over the last two years, we've had a debate series with Afghans for Progressive Thinking, who are a youth-led organisation. They have 236 debate clubs around Afghanistan in high schools and in universities Um, and we had had a debate series specifically focused on um, inclusive peace processes and how youth and women uh, could participate in the peace process um, in civil society but how they could influence uh, the terms of those peace talks between the Afghan government and the Taliban um, mostly taking place outside of the country Uh, and also the focus of the debates was very much on how how um, how youth uh, leaders could be could be uh, advocates for human rights and women's rights in the country um, you know to really uh, sustain uh, you know peaceful relations uh, you know after after war On the weekend, I think it was August 13th, I received a message from the director of the Afghans for Progressive Thinking, um, Mohammed Ajmal, and um, he said, you know, we've been really coping with a humanitarian crisis in Kabul, we're really worried, I don't think we can have our debate in a week's time. And it was quite dire, he's a very mild-mannered guy, very tolerant, peaceful person, as anyone would be leading such an organisation. And I just thought it was a Saturday morning,
1: I just thought, this is, this is it. This is it.
3: Uh, at that moment, uh, on that day, uh, actually, I was living in Herat, one of the provinces of Afghanistan. Parisa Secondary is one of the Afghan scholars who managed to escape the country.
0: She recalls those crucial hours prior to fleeing.
3: Uh, on that day, I was planning for uh, uh, a tournament. It was uh, for the uh, national competition for the university students. We were planning uh, on that uh, program with uh, some of international colleagues, and uh, we just we were talking about the security issues that we may face in uh, national um, competition, national program. I never thought that uh, after finishing the uh, the meeting, I will receive a call that. That Herod is under the control of Taliban and you, you will not have any competition, national competition and nothing. So at that time, I really frozen that. I, I didn't think of uh, that it will happen this quick. I think I
2: made a few phone calls, and we just, uh, and and particularly to Sharon Pickering, who was the deputy vice chancellor, and I said, "I think we need to, um, I think we need to get humanitarian visas and get these young people out, these young scholars out of Afghanistan." Um, do you think it's a crazy idea? Jackie, uh, Jackie sent me a text, and I've still got it,
1: and it basically said. I think we have a responsibility to get them out. Professor
0: Sharon Pickering is Deputy Vice-Chancellor Education and Senior Vice-President at Monash University. She's a leading international researcher in criminology with global expertise on border crossings, migration and trafficking. And she
1: said, you can talk me out of it if you want. And I rang her and we talked and I didn't talk her out of it and I said, no, this is what we need to do. And so she then mobilised Uh, the student group and I went to the Vice-Chancellor and said I believe we've got a responsibility and the Vice-Chancellor to her credit immediately said of course. We had to get them uh, emergency uh, evacuation visas, emergency humanitarian visas and we had to get them to the airport.
2: So I had a good think that weekend. We, I spent a lot of time talking to different people. Monday morning in the Gender, Peace and Security Centre, we started a petition to the Australian government um, to respond to that situation in Afghanistan. I think by, in 24 hours, we had 6,000 signatures. We just said submit it. Our main role was, was then, you know, to get those visas Uh, And to provide ongoing moral support to encourage our colleagues to uh, endure a really uh, horrendous uh, queue outside the airport with three Taliban checkpoints, um, which were, you know, really violently patrolled by um, soldiers, Taliban soldiers.
1: (laughs) Do remember that the fall of um, Kabul happened much quicker than anyone anticipated.
3: The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely.
1: Our, our colleagues in Kabul say they, they went into work, they went into university, they went into their daily lives uh, in the morning, and by the afternoon they'd had to make a decision to flee. Mm. So the, 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 that notion of how quickly it moved uh, and all, you know, something close to split-second decisions had to be made and then that window, that window for them to get to a border or to the airport and those scenes from the airport, they were, they were decisions made in minutes and hours. Mm-hmm. They were not decisions made even in days and weeks. Uh, and so uh, those calculations were... Instinctive.
3: So um, every, everything was so quick. Even I didn't have the time to think about it. It was very really hard for me as uh, there were no flight at that time because uh, Herat Airport was under the control of Taliban and I had to travel by bus to Kabul. Uh, and it was not an um, easy decision because of the security problems and also uh, I couldn't uh, travel alone to Kabul because of the restrictions for the females. Uh, when I talked with my family and tried to convince them, uh, so finally. I had the decision of going to Kabul, and it was a tra- uh, twenty-two hours uh, travel by bus to Kabul with the more than ten checkpoints of Taliban, and uh, it was really hard to get to Kabul. But uh, I did because uh, I had I had to make that decision at that time. What became apparent is
1: uh, two things: we had to get them uh, emergency. Uh, evacuation visas, emergency humanitarian visas, and we had to get them to the airport. So Jackie and the students worked on getting them to the airport and myself and the team here, including, you know, government relations and my chief of staff, Said right, we'll work on the visas. So of course, when you think about visas, you think, all right, we better go to the lawyers. We'll go talk to the lawyers. Uh, the lawyers came back and said, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely be able to do them within a week or two. And we were like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe an hour. You've got so an my, hour. So my chief of staff is saying, right, I can't get I can't get any lawyers to do it. Fortunately. Um, uh, between the two of us, we're, we're reasonably well well travelled, and I turned to him and I said, "You're going to do them." <laughs> so my and I know just recently taken up this this job. So one of the first major projects my chief of staff and I worked on was he basically became one of Australia's greatest migration agents. <laughs> Then our students swung into action. And so basically, we then we connected with the ADF who gave us advice on how to get people to the airport. Uh, and of course, the frustration was some countries were helping get their people to the airport. Uh, and Australia was not in a position to do that. And so what they basically did is they said, right, here's the details. This is where they need to get to. You need to talk them through it. And basically, it meant that there was there were WhatsApp groups running to try and keep up morale because for most people who went to that airport they spent usually three or four days and three nights in what could only be described as the most inhumane uh, conditions. And some of the group turned back because it was too hard and that really deflated the team here because I wanted to keep going. I don't think any of us slept for, that, for, for the time that um, our scholars were uh, Trying to get to to Abbey Gate, uh, you know. I think that uh, we there was actually a, there was a sleep schedule, oh, <laughs> you know, of when people wake on uh, or not. You know, I had the the our students were incredible. You know, these are young people that we were evacuating. These are people in their early twenties, and our students were there for them, and they did not rest as they guided as they guided them out. Did you ever have a moment where you thought? this could go really wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. The whole time. I remember I became so distressed when we got news that our first group of five were being beaten by the Taliban and no one was going out to reach them. And so they were within sight of um, Defence Force officials from a number of countries and they were four men and one woman in this first group that we we were trying to get through. And to have the messages coming through on WhatsApp saying we are being beaten and knowing that and being in those roles of interlocutor was just crushing, was crushing, because people were dying in those lines and uh, we were desperate to get them through.
2: We developed a, uh, a kind of a division of labour. We had a schedule, we had um, different people on the WhatsApp channels, um, we had about three different groups of Afghan scholars at that stage uh, and we ha- always had two people on each of the channels. We had channels to the ADF, to the captains. We had channels to various other people. Um, and uh, so it, we, we we actually had to act incredibly quickly. We had to do, in a way, I think it was the crazy thing, but the crazy thing is the normal thing to do in such a situation. Um, so, And uh, we were lucky because our last group really um, just was evacuated and on a flight, on an Australian flight to Dubai um, within hours of the ISIS attack on mm. the Kabul airport. Mm. So there really wasn't time and then there was simply a couple of hours later the entire airport closed. The Islamic State affiliate ISIS-K claiming that it is behind the suicide blast which killed more than 13 US service members and dozens of Afghans.
0: What is your hope now that you have these amazing scholars from Afghanistan here in Australia? What's your hope that they'll be able to do to help rebuild Afghanistan from here?
2: We can provide uh, a safe space and we can provide a platform for our Afghan scholars to have a voice Um, and and to speak out about the situation in Afghanistan uh, and to be the strongest advocates they can in the international community, um, you know, for their fellow Afghan citizens um, and especially for Afghan women and girls. And we're doing that already. Um, We've obviously just launched, uh, we've just finished a 16 days campaign against gender-based violence focused and dedicated to Afghan women and girls and we've been able to use that campaign to showcase a video of a different Afghan Youth leader speaking about women's rights and human rights and why they're so important and how they're being violated, how each one of those rights is being violated every day. And now we've just started a pilot mentoring coaching program um, with Monash students mentoring and coaching Afghan young women uh, on a research paper to allow them uh, to continue their education, but also to have a voice uh, and to publish and develop their voice uh, in in the context uh, of a university. Uh, that has you know that has a platform.
3: When I heard that Monash uh, finally um, succeed to uh, have these uh, humanitarian visas for uh, for us, uh, at that time I thought that that could be uh, you know a point of starting for me again to build my future. To help uh, my uh, women in Afghanistan uh, from the uh, by the help of Monash and by the help of Australian government out of Afghanistan, so that was uh, somehow like a starting point for me again.
1: We are so fortunate that they got through. It really was a life and death situation that that you were trying to manage. Well, there was a whole team. It wasn't just me. There there was a whole group of us. And when I say, um, you know, Jackie Chu's leadership was phenomenal. To see her step into this space and say this is what we need to do and to hold fast and they were – it was just coming at us. And, of course, what was coming at us was nothing compared to what was coming at those those scholars that were trying to flee. But that – That kind of embodied leadership that she offered through that time is, it's, I don't think I've seen a more impressive or more humane and a more effective kind of leadership. Mm. The ultimate scholar in action. I was incredible. And also I would just say, you know, can you imagine being a 19-year-old student and, Once we knew everyone was on the plane, I I pulled all the students and Jackie together to do a debrief because of the areas I've worked in over my careers, you know, I'm very much aware that vicarious trauma is a very real and big thing and these young Monash students, these brilliant Monash students um, had lived every minute of this and so we had this debriefing session and it will forever stay with me where our students were like, I'm just 19 and I live in suburban Geelong and I have, like, I'm not a political person. I don't know anyone and all the rest of it. And suddenly here I was doing the messaging in the middle of the night to get these people through. And to, to hear them say, I, I was part of this and I stepped up and I went in and I didn't know anything. And I had no, beforehand, I wouldn't have thought I've got any skills or capabilities. But these incredible students stepped in and connected with the needs of these students in Afghanistan, it was glorious. And these, you know, these Monash students will never be Mm. the same and what they will go on to do will be incredible and it will be at least in significant part shaped by what I think is an effort that most people would live their whole lives and not have the opportunity, let alone the wherewithal. And they did it at 19. They did it at 19 and they are absolutely glorious.
3: I hope one day uh, again we will have what we had again our women can raise their voice again we could see uh, women leaders women political leaders women in universities and schools uh, who uh, have the right to dream Again, we could see and feel uh, the women in Afghanistan, their voice, their knowledge, their skills. And uh, I'm hoping uh, to see one day uh, again that Afghanistan is living a w- again.
0: What an incredible, life-changing story for all involved the future leaders of a country in crisis, Parisa and her fellow scholars have made it their purpose to keep advocating for and protecting those left behind in Afghanistan. Thank you to all our guests for sharing their experiences. More information about their story and work can be found in our show notes. Next week, we'll continue to explore the situation in Afghanistan focusing on the crucial role of women in peacekeeping and international relations. What does the future look like? Find out on our final episode of this season on What Happens Next.